Thank you, Chris and team. Good morning, Grand Point. It's good to see the community gathered here this morning. My goodness, you guys look great today on this Easter Sunday. So glad that you're here to be a part of us here at Grand Point Church. We've had an amazing week. We had services on Thursday evening, Friday for three hours. And, you know, for those of us who uh, maybe were able to be a part of some of that, it feels like we had an edge coming in here today. But from what I can tell, it didn't take you long to catch up. So it is so good to have you here. I appreciate a lot of you asking uh, how I'm doing. Uh, Last week, Chad announced that I was out sick. I had a fever. Somebody told me they heard that I had a hiatal hernia. I'm not sure what what that is, much less what. So whatever rumors are out there, no. I did have COVID last week, so I was was home. And uh, last Sunday, I was still on my stage in my tomb of quarantine. And, but I'm back. feel like I'm resurrected, right? So we're back. And it's so good to have uh, you here this morning. I'm glad to be here with you today as well. And I want to welcome all of you into this place today. You know, we recognize all across, churches all across America know that on Christmas and Easter, they are the most attended services on Sunday. There's some people, you know, in the year. There's only uh, people that only go to church on Easter and Sunday. And for those of you that maybe are that, I know why you do that. I know exactly why you do that, because you're like, every time I go, that's the same message. Well, it is. It is, but it's a good message, right? And we're going to tell the message again, but I just want you to know that we do meet 50 other weekends out of the year, and you are welcome at any one of them. And we mean that. Here at Grand Point Church, we believe that whenever someone new comes and is a part of us, we get better because of you. And uh, so we're just a great uh, common community of people that gather here, and uh, we're broken, we're hurting, we just need God, we need each other, and uh, that's why we meet on moments like this. And we're glad that you're here. I also want to recognize just right up front today that when it comes to this whole idea of the resurrection, we're all, we're all over the place today on this. For some of us, this is like the essential doctrine of our lives. Man, this is the heart of Christianity. See, the heart of Christianity for us is not just some new form of morality. No, it is not just another, uh, it's, it's not just another, um, you know, part of, uh, you know, a different approach to the nature of the universe. No, for those of us who believe in the resurrection, we believe that this is about a dead man walking out of a grave and how that changes everything. And because of that risen Lord, the curse of death in all of its forms has been broken if you're ready to receive it. So if you sense any kind of a celebration or even a hint of celebration as we gather this morning, that's why. That's why, because the curse has been broken, and this is the very heart of our Christian faith. But there are others in this room that are somewhat skeptical about this whole idea of some man walking out of a tomb and coming back to life again. You're like, I don't know about that. You know, maybe he wasn't dead. We have all kinds of theories. Maybe he wasn't dead. Maybe there was some kind of a hoax, and we have all of this skepticism, uh, you know, ab- about that as well. Now, you're not dismissing the possibility that something big happened, right? Maybe there were some colored eggs in the chicken coop or something. I don't know, but, you know, something happened, but you're not quite sure if it's this resurrection thing, and then there's someone in this room or maybe online today that doesn't believe this at all. You're like, there's no way, no way I'm buying this. Both feet on the brakes. The only reason you're here, the only reason you're watching today is because there's a big lunch promised you somewhere in this, and you don't, you don't want to miss that lunch. Or mom made me come, 
right? Or my wife made me come, or she's just cute, and it's like, whatever, I'll go wherever she goes, and here you are at church on Easter Sunday morning. But listen, I want to put everyone at ease, regardless of where you are. I don't want to put you all at ease this morning, because we're all in great company. When Jesus was reported to be resurrected from the dead on that first Easter Sunday, even some of his closest disciples said, when they heard about the resurrection, they said, sounds like nonsense to me. Still others said, you know what, I'm not going to believe this until I see it. And so they had to go and see for themselves. But there were others who were overwhelmed, but they were filled with joy because this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. For those of you who are regulars here at Grand Point, we go all the way back to the beginning of February, right, where we started this message series called Destinations. And the idea was that we're going to just check in on Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry as the Gospel of Mark records it, and we're going to walk with him through all the years, the three years on this earth, all the way to the cross of Calvary. And along the way, we saw Jesus heal people. We saw him do some pretty amazing things. We heard him call and say, come follow me. But the one thing that we heard in that journey, all from the shores of the Sea of Galilee to the cross of Calvary, was Jesus saying to his family, to his friends, to his followers, he said, guys, I want you to know, I want you to know when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I am going to die, and I am going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. Three times Jesus said that to his followers. But there was a big difference between what they heard and what they believed. And, and there was something that was standing between, something big stood between what they heard and what they believed. And that big thing was a stone. It was a stone that says in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, the Sabbath was like sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday. It says when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene the Mary, the, and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Now, look at this, verse 3. We got a problem. They were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away so that we can get to the entrance, so that we can get through the entrance of the tomb? In other words, there's a stone standing between them and the Lord. Now, when we read passages like this, ancient texts like this, we think, okay, people back then were a whole lot less scientific. They believed in things like the resurrection. We know a whole lot more right now. We know things like this can't happen. But no, I want you to know that that was not true. They knew how death worked. In fact, most of these people had seen more dead bodies by the time they were at 12 years old than you and I will ever see in a lifetime. And when it comes to death, they knew what was dead. Dead like I saw a, a sword, or I saw this spear pierce a man's heart and blood just gushed out like a fountain kind of dead. Right? They understood all that and they knew that you didn't come back from that. Furthermore, they knew what happened that night when Jesus' body was taken to a tomb. That tomb was sealed. Man, there was this big rock that came in front of it, and that tomb was sealed. We're not exactly sure what it was sealed like, but it was like this, these, these, uh, these ropes or these leather straps were somehow ratcheted around that tomb. And then they also knew that there was this garrison of soldiers that were sent there to guard the tomb. They knew all this. And now they're on their way to the tomb, and all of a sudden they realize 
man, we're not going to get in there. How are we going to get in there because of that, uh, of that tomb? Jesus was dead. He was buried. And these women, now watch this, these women that were coming to that tomb that morning were not looking for a resurrection. Not at all. They weren't starry-eyed, gullible, miracle seekers showing up with lawn chairs and paraphernalia ready to have Jesus you know, sign this stuff. No, they weren't looking for a resurrection. In fact, they came with spices. And when Mark says spices, man, don't think like garlic, oregano, or tastefully, uh, tastefully simple seasoned salt, right? It wasn't those kind of spices. By the way, when you think of the greatest contributions that Western society made to the rest of the world, tastefully simple seasoned salt has to be at the top of the list. It makes every other meal taste good, by the way. That's not the spices we're talking about. The spices that these ladies brought were spices used to preserve dead bodies, which again indicates that they were not expecting to meet a living, breathing Jesus. No, they were coming to anoint a dead body. There wasn't even a suspicion in their mind that the tomb might be empty. They didn't come to the tomb that morning looking for a miracle. They came looking for closure. They knew what had to happen to a dead body. Right, And they knew that all those preparations that were done on Friday night were not sufficient right? because they had to rush through that. They had to get that done quickly before the Sabbath. So Jesus was temporarily embalmed and put in this tomb. They knew something else had to be done. And that's what they're coming to do. They're coming to do a job that had to be done because the story is over. The story is over. Jesus is dead. And they just needed to move on. And they're halfway to the tomb, and they look at each other. This is a heads-down moment, by the way. They're looking at each other like, hey, did you call the stone movers? No, did, did you call them? And they're like, what if no one's even there to move this stone? How are we even going to get in? Right? And their heads are down. And as they're pondering this problem, verse 6 says, and looking up. Everyone say, look up. Come on, look up, look up, right? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. I told you it was big. I told you it was big. So given the approximate size of a traditional tomb at this, at this day, the, the opening was maybe about four feet, six inches, you know, in diameter. But they, they had these huge rocks that were rolled in front of it. And the way that they did it was they carved these tracks into the, the bedrock of the, the tombstone area. And it was, it was a rocky area. So they would carve these tracks. And they would sit the stone in this track at a slight incline. And then when it came time to, to close the tomb, they would roll this big stone down the incline. And it would land right in front of the tomb. And according to Matthew and according to John, two men did this. I mean, when you look at the story, there were two guys who, who pulled this in, in front of the, the tomb. Now, the more difficult task, however, was removing the stone, was removing it. Because if you removed it, now you had to push it up the incline. Furthermore, this tomb was sealed and this tomb was being guarded. So to open the tomb, this stone would have had to roll up that incline. Furthermore, according to Matthew, right, it was sealed, which only added to the difficulty of moving it. This stone, this big stone was a barrier to the body of Christ, but no more. No more. The text says the stone had been rolled away and had been rolled back. And you want to know who did it? Mark doesn't tell us, but Matthew does. Matthew says that as Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, let me pause there for a moment because we know something that they don't, that they didn't. See, when they were going to the tomb, they thought they were alone. 
Very early that morning, they thought no one else saw them. But that was not true. That was not true. Jesus saw them. He was watching them. He was measuring every step that they took. He saw right into their hearts. He saw what they were planning to do. And he smiled as he saw into their hearts. Man, he just, he loved how, how fervent uh, they were when they went that, when, when they went to that tomb. He was smiling and he had a surprise waiting for them. Matthew chapter 28 verse 2 says, and behold, as they're approaching the tomb, it says, behold, there was this great earth, earthquake and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And let me go back to Mark chapter 16, verse 6. This angel said to them as they approached it, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen. Now watch this. They said, Now come, come here. Come into the tomb and see where he had laid. Right? I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but that stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. That stone was rolled away to let the women in. It wasn't because Jesus could not come out of that. In fact, the text even indicates perhaps that he'd already been risen when the stone was moved. I mean, think about it. Did that stone have to be moved for Jesus to exit? Did God have to have help? Was the death conqueror so weak that he couldn't move a rock? Like he was inside there pounding, hey, somebody let me out of here, right? Back when I was in my late teens, early 20s, there was this phenomenon called drive-in movies. Anybody remember drive-in movies? You go to these theaters and man, you'd, so, so my friends and I, we'd, we'd like pack the car, right? Really, they should have charged per car, but they charged per person, right? So if you had a whole car full of people, that cost a lot of money. So in the interest of stewardship, all right, we came up with this plan. And so we'd stop before we got to the theater and a couple of us would get in the trunk, right? And then the rest of us would buy the tickets and then we'd split the cost. I mean, you don't want to pay $1.75 if you didn't have to. So we tried to try to work this out. So a couple of us got in the trunk. By the way, I confessed all this. I repented of all this. So I'm good right now. But so, so we put a couple of people in the trunk and then we drive in, you know, and we put them back there with the refreshments, right? You go to the drive-ins, you have to have refreshments. If I'm going to confess, I'm going to put it all out here tonight, right? This morning. But so, so they're in the back there. And we're driving into the, the movie theaters. We pay for a couple of tickets. So, so one night, it was just me and Jeff, big Jeff. He was a big guy. And uh, it was only two of us that could go. And so we're, we're getting close to the theater. And Jeff says, hey, hey, one of us has to get in the trunk. I'm like, Jeff, this is not a good idea. I said, nobody goes to the drive-ins alone. So that would be very suspicious if you're back there or if I'm back there and you're driving in alone. And he says, well, I'll do it. Now, just for the record, your pastor said, no, I will not do it, Okay. <laughs> I want you to know that. I said no to this. But then Jeff said, hey, you drive my car. I'll get in the back. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. He had this old Pontiac Le Mans that kind of rode like this already, and the back end was hanging low. Big Jeff jumps in the back, and he's curled up in there with the refreshments, right, in this fetal position. And so I'm driving in. The car's like this. I pull up, buy one ticket, right, just one ticket. Jeff and I are going to split the 175 then, and that's going to be good for us. And so I drive in, and then I'm, you, when you have someone in the trunk, you have to go to the back row. So you drive to the back row, and then you let them out, right? And then you can go wherever. So as I'm driving toward the back road, I noticed this car following me. And uh, I pulled in, I parked, and the car came in beside me. It had some writing on the side, a little red light on the top kind of, <laughs> kind of car. And so I thought, okay, this is not a good time to let Jeff out. And so I'm going to let Jeff in there for a little while. 
After a while, this other gentleman gets out of his car, and he had a flashlight about that big, and he's kind of shining at me. He's walking toward me, and he's coming toward me. He knows what's going on. Jeff is in the trunk. He doesn't. He has no idea what's going on. In fact, he's thinking that I'm messing with him right now. And just when that officer comes right beside the car, Jeff starts pounding on the side and says, Metzler, let me out of here, right? And because uh, he, he, he couldn't get out, right? He's, he's let me out of here. Of course, the evening did not end well for us. And uh, it's cheaper to buy a ticket, by the way. But here's, here's, what, here's my point with this. Jesus was not in that tomb pounding on the side saying, let me out right? He had a way out. He was God. He was not helpless at this moment. He was released. He was out of that tomb. Now the angel says, Mary and Mary Magdalene, come in. I want you to see the place where he was laying. And so they went in and uh, they're looking at this empty tomb. Mary Magdalene looks at Mary. She had that same grin on her face that she had when the loaves and the fishes kept coming out of the basket. And all of a sudden, the old passion within her flares, and suddenly, in the middle of an empty tomb, she realizes it's okay to dream again, because she knows exactly what happened. Now, at this moment, because she was able to go into the tomb, she saw the emptiness, and she knows that Jesus has risen. And then the angel said to them, hey, go. Go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out, and they fled from the tomb, for, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, here's where you have to pull all the Gospels together to make sense of this story. Because Matthew says they left the tomb with fear. Uh, or no, Mark says they left and, and didn't say anything to anybody. But Matthew says, no, they left the tomb with fear and great joy right? And they ran to tell the disciples. Luke says they left the tomb and they told all of these things to the 11 and to all the rest. See, it's most likely just a sequence, a sequence of timing. Initially, when they left the tomb, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to think, so they didn't say anything. But as soon as they saw someone, right, they couldn't help talking about it. And then another surprise hits them. Matthew says in 28 verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them. They're leaving the empty tomb, right? They're going out to meet other people. And Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up to him. They took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Just go tell, go, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The God of surprises strikes again. Man, it's as if he said, I can't wait any longer. They came all of this way to see me. I am just going to drop in on them. And that's what God does. That's what God does just when you don't expect him. He drops in on you. He does that just when wombs get too old for babies. Sarah gets pregnant. Just when failure is too great for grace, David is pardoned. And just when the road is too dark for Mary Magdalene and Mary, the angel glows and the angel shows. And Mary and Mag Mary Magdalene were never the same again. Now let me just conclude all this this morning, this story by saying this, I believe that Easter is about rolling away stones. I believe that Easter is about removing stones, the big stones that keep us from meeting and knowing the risen Lord, the big stones that keep us from experiencing the power of his resurrection. Now, I know that some of the stones, perhaps, that we have in our lives, maybe, maybe one of the stones is, I'm still not sure, you know, I hear what it says. I hear what you're saying, Pastor Lawrence, but I'm still not sure if I believe this. 
So, so there is a stone of unbelief yet that, yes, keeps us from seeing, knowing, experiencing the risen Lord. I, I bet everyone in this room today would say, yeah, I believe in God. I even believe in Jesus. You know what? And I even believe that, that, that part of the story of Jesus' life where he went to the cross and he died for me. But for many Christians today, Jesus is still dead. He's still dead. There's very little of his life that's being lived out within us. There's very little love being expressed to him. There's very little powerful uh, resurrection power that we're experiencing in our lives. And we're not running down the road telling people about him. See, for many of us, Jesus is still on the cross. We love what he did for us we, because the cross is a symbol of love, isn't it? Oh my goodness, we love the fact that our sins are forgiven, nailed to the cross, but a lot of us have left Jesus there because we're not, re- you know, what we're living out in our lives right now is not what we say we believe. We say we believe in the resurrection, but I'm not sure that, that, that we're living it. And the reason is because there's still a big stone that needs to be rolled away. And for some of us, it's a stone of unbelief. It's kind of nice to have the story, isn't it? Man, it's really nice to have the holiday, but I'm still not sure what the resurrection has to do with my life. What does it have to do with me? Okay, it's good for these guys back then. I mean, I, I, I get that whole disciple thing and, you know, what Jesus had to do to prove himself then, but I'm not sure what it has to do with, with, with me. Can I just tell you this morning that the resurrection has everything to do with your life? Everything. This is not just the most important miracle that ever happened. This is not just an essential item or an essential uh, item on your theological outline. This is not just something that brings us together for the greatest season of the year. This is not just the hope for your future. The resurrection is that, but it's more. It is the window through which you view all of life. I don't know if you remember the story all the way back in Genesis. Jesus was having this, uh, one of the early conversations he was having with the first humans. Adam and Eve were in this garden, in this beautiful place God created. God called them over one day, and he says, hey, guys, look at this. Look at this. Everything out here, this tree, man, this fountain, this waterfall, this stream, this bush, all these trees here, man, this is all yours. This is, where I, this is what I created and where I created for you to live. It's all yours. There's just this one tree that has this big chocolate peanut butter eggs on. I don't want you to eat that. Too much sugar, too many calories, too much fat. Don't eat that one. You'll die. I didn't say that, but let me get back to the real story. Jesus said there is this one tree, one tree in the middle of the garden. He called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, that one is off limits for you. And then Jesus said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely, what? Die. Very first time that that death was introduced. God did not create this world. God did not create humans to die. He created life. That's all he knows. It was sin that brought death into this world. You know the story. Adam and Eve ate from that one tree. And at that very moment when they ate, God put this curse over the earth. He put this curse over mankind, and that curse included death. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he went to that cross. He went to remove that curse of death, that curse of sin over our lives. That is exactly why the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians that when Jesus died, man, he took the sting out of death. You know the honeybee can't sting you twice? That's because when a honeybee pushes its stinger out, it ruptures the bee's digestive tract, and that leads to a quick and a certain death. According to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, death 
put its stinger into Jesus. And when it did, the internal workings of death itself were disrupted and died, right? At some point, listen, we all know this. At some point, the honeybee of death will come for each of us. But if Jesus has already taken that stinger out, then your death won't have any curse in it. In fact, it won't even be a death at all. It will simply be a transition to a new life. Right? That's what Jesus did when he came to this cross, uh, when he came to the cross. I was talking to one of our members this week who was given two to three weeks to live. Two to three weeks to live. The cancer in her body right now is just aggressive and it's working through her. So I met with her on Tuesday and I said, I said, Paulette, man, what is it like to be told to have three weeks to live? I can't imagine. Can't imagine the thoughts that would go through my mind, right? I can't imagine what I would think about, like what I would have to do and who I would have to talk to, what I would have to deal with. And I said, so what's it like to be told that you just have two or three weeks to live? And she got this smile on her face. She said, I'm good. I'm good with it. It's just kind of awesome. Because she said, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I know where I'm going. And then she said, my God ain't never promised something he's not going to keep. Right? And she knew exactly where she was going. Who can say that? Who can say that except for those who believe that the sting of death has already been taken care of? And that's exactly what happened at Jesus' death. Now, the Apostle Paul comes and reminds us in Romans chapter 4 that the resurrection, here's where the resurrection comes in, that the resurrection of Jesus is the verification that God had accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Now, if you don't believe that or if you can't believe this, That huge stone will keep you from seeing Jesus. That will keep you from seeing Jesus. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that that stone of unbelief is rolled away from your life this morning. Honestly, I've been praying for that as I knew this service was coming. Those online today, those that are in this room, I knew that you'd be hearing this, and I've been praying for you. If there's anyone in this room or online today that is not believing this at all, listen, I've been praying for you. Because that stone of unbelief rolls. It rolls. It can be moved. And before I pray for that this morning, though, I want to talk about another stone. And this might be the stone of your past. You've got this big stone between you and Jesus because you can't get past your past. See, not only was there a curse put over us, there was a curse that kind of runs through us. And that curse that runs through us, man, that, that, that allowed many of us to make a mess out of life. Man, we've screwed things up. We've broken relationships. We've hurt people. We've lied to people. Man, we've, we've, we've got ourselves in debt. And we're, 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 I mean, we're just, at a, we're just at a bad place. You know, and that stone of our past has kind of given us an identity. When, when you look at that stone, you see on that stone words like addict, offender, adulterer, divorced, angry, liar, self-centered, grumpy pants. I've been called that once. Grumpy pain. And see, here's the deal. Many of us choose to live with those labels attached to our lives, and we do that because that's the only thing that we know. It's the only thing that we can see. It's painted on the stone, and it says that's who we are. Listen, those labels from our past are huge stones that keep us from seeing Jesus and allowing him to relabel us. He wants more than anything else to give you a new identity in him. 
And when he, when that stone is rolled away, the stone of your past is dealt with and it's rolled away, you have a new identity. And that simply means that the resurrection shows us that there is a power in this world to overcome your past. You need to believe that. You need to understand that there's a power in this world that enables you to overcome your past. Uh, this uh, past year at our, uh, this past event of our baptism, service, we use this scripture from Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 3, where Paul writes and says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, right? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that, that new life in you is not only your resolve to do better, it's not your resolve to be better. No, it is the power, it is the release of his power in you. That is amazing. That's something to celebrate today. That means that Jesus is not only able to forgive every sin, but he can reverse and he can restore anything that sin has ruined. He heals broken hearts. He renews and rebuilds wrecked relationships. He brings hope into hopelessness. He brings beauty out of ashes. He takes treasure and he takes trash and turns it into treasure. He removes the stones and barriers that you and I cannot remove ourselves. Remember one of the women who went to that tomb that morning was Mary Magdalene. Can I tell you about Mary? When Mary first meets Jesus, the Gospel of Luke tells us that she had seven demons. Not one, not two. No, she had seven demons. Now, now the Scripture doesn't really describe her character, her behavior as a result of that, but it's, it's Luke's way of saying, man, she's hopelessly consumed by the demonic. Now, now I don't know what that meant, but I'm, I'm telling you this. Anyone with seven demons would have been a mess. Their life would have been a mess. She would have been conflicted and miserable and destitute. I mean, who hires someone with seven demons, right? So, so we don't know much about her, but most likely she, she's outcast, forgotten, and given up on. But in Luke chapter 8, she fell at Jesus' feet and found healing. And now she's the first person that Jesus appears to after his resurrection. Mary Magdalene is in the garden, and she mistakes Jesus as the gardener. And then Jesus calls her name, and this is probably the most beautiful scene in all the Gospels ever. But Jesus calls her name and says, Mary. And at that moment, she recognized him, and what a beautiful moment. Just calling her name woke her up. He's doing that with some of you today. He's doing that with some of you today. He's, he's calling your name. Because he knows... He knows where you are. He knows that you're un not believing this. He knows you're stuck in the past. He knows you've got all kinds of stuff going on that you just can't deal with. Man, you can't remove it. It's just, you've tried everything, and you're stuck. He knows that and calls your name. He's calling your name. Listen, that voice has the power to put back together whatever sin has broken. Maybe you're struggling against spiritual forces. Maybe it's this big stone of addictions that you've got going on in your life or sinful habits you can't break. Maybe your life feels so hopelessly wrecked by sin that you don't see a way out. Mary says to you this morning, I know. I've been there. I've been there. I had seven demons. And then she would look at you and say, but I want you to know there's more healing in him than there is sickness in you.
as dark as, as dark as the sickness is, listen, the light of Christ is brighter. There's more forgiveness in him than there is sin in you. So there's this stone of unbelief that gets some of us. Man, there's a stone of our past, but there's one more, and I'll wrap it up with this. There's a stone with a fear. Man, fear about our future, fear about our lives, fear about our economy, fear about the stock market and all those things, fear for your kids, fear for your grandkids. There's even some doubts maybe that we have in our lives right now. It's, it's, this whole thing about God is just not working out for you. I don't feel it. I don't see anything different. You know, I, I said, told God one day I believed in him or whatever. I prayed to God sometimes, but nothing's changing. Nothing is happening. And you're like wondering, where is God? Or you've lost hope. or You're doubting that God is working in your situation. Let me just ask you a question this morning, hypothetically. Why didn't God raise Jesus from the dead immediately? Like, why did he wait till Sunday morning to do this? Why didn't he raise Jesus from the dead Friday night, like later Friday night or early Saturday morning? Right now, I know that we have our answer that, that involves the Sabbath and all that. We don't do those kind of things on the Sabbath, but I want you to think for a moment because what if, what if that gap is simply a metaphor for what life sometimes feels like? Like there's a gap, and in that gap, we're asking, where is God? Why isn't God working? Why isn't he doing something? Has, has he forgotten about me? You feel like you're living in a Friday or Saturday, but can I just tell you today, Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. And even when we don't see him, he's working. Even when we don't feel him, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. Listen, at any moment, God is up to 10,000 different things in your life. You and I maybe know two or, three th- two or three things that he's working on, but he's working on so much more. And you know what he's working on? He's working to bring a Sunday into your Friday. He's working to bring a resurrection into your life. He's working out a surprise for you at the tomb where you're stuck. He's working out a plan to drop in on you and surprise you at at some moment. There is a Sunday coming. Listen, the resurrection assures us that we're not taking this journey alone. We are not alone. At any moment, Jesus, the resurrected the Lord, is going uh, to walk in, in on you. If you feel like you're going through a dark season in life right now, uh, waiting for God maybe to answer a prayer, waiting for God to heal a hurt, waiting for God to bring back a child, waiting for a resurrection, don't give up. Look up. Look up, and you'll see that the stone is already rolled away. And when you, when you begin to see on the other side of that, hope emerges on the other side. New life in Christ begins to be part of your reality. But remember, it's God who specializes in stone removal. It's not something that you can do by yourself. There is no way. You're asking the question right now, who is going to remove this stone? Because you don't know how it's going to happen. God can do it. God can do it. I'm not just saying that. I believe that. I know what he did in my life. I've seen what he's done in your lives. He will do this. And when those barriers disappear, hope emerges. If you're looking for a way in or way out, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father and experiences the resurrection life apart from me. See, all those stones that imprison us or block our path have no power to destroy us. There's only one who can roll away those stones and bring joy in your life, and you'll find freedom in Jesus Christ. See, that's the Easter message. 
And that's where our hope lies. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. There's another resurrection about to happen in your life. Would you just pray with me? God, right now in this room and for those joining us online this morning, I just want to invite all of us into this time of just reflecting on what happened on that first moment of the resurrection. It's like all of the hope that was bound behind a huge stone came to life once again. And I want to pray that over this group here this morning, for those watching online, those within this room, if there's anyone over in the overflow area uh, this morning, Lord, I just pray right now over all of these people in this room today. If there's a stone of unbelief or if there's a big stone of our past that we can't get over, if there's a stone of fear, if there's a stone of doubt, God, I pray right now that there would be this earthquake forming, there would be this angel descending, and there would be this removal of a stone so that we would be able to see in for the very first time what Jesus has planned and prepared for us and our lives. God, remove stones this morning remove them in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord, so that we would begin to, re- to live the resurrected life and the living hope that is ours in Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.